Hi, this is Anna Silk, and you are listening to Drinks at the Doll. Enjoy. Welcome to Drinks at the Doll, episode 125. Listening to Drinks at the Doll, a podcast way station for Lost Girl fans. I am your host, Stephanie. And I'm Annie. And I'm Chris. And in this episode, we are discussing the Lost Girl series finale, Rise. Pause to, if you all wanted to sob. Do you want to sob? I'm keeping it inside for now. Okay. Well, Chris found a drink special for us for this episode. What did, what did you find for us, Chris? It's called Bittersweet with a Twist. Oh. Because we've been talking about the bittersweet ending. And I gotta say, it was exactly the type of drink that I wanted to drink today, so I'm basically drinking it, though I did tweak it kind of a lot. Because <laughs> kind of a lot? Kind of a lot? More alcohol? Well, Bittersweet with an extra twist. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. The original recipe called for two ounces tequila and then ten ounces grapefruit juice? I mean... That's not strong enough for you, no. right? <laughs> that sounds about right for me, though. All. Well, okay, so I went and I got myself, because I really wanted to drink some tequila. Like, I, I seriously was looking for recipe, drink recipes where I'm like, I really want to drink some tequila. And so I tweaked it. So this is two ounces tequila, four ounces grapefruit juice, and then a twist of lime. It asked for a slice of lemon, but come on, tequila, lime, plus I just don't understand why anybody would have lemon when they could have lime. And look how pretty. If you can see, you can see the little green floating around in my pink grapefruit juice. It's, it's prettier. So I asked for people to send in lots of voice messages in our short episode, and we got quite a few. Thank you to everybody who sent in their feedback. And I thought we had we got one message from Dominique from France. And I thought, I'm sorry, Dominique, that I just said it that way. That was kind of a dick move. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it would be a great way to kick off our discussion. So here is what Dominique had to say. I just want to say. Thank you, thank you, Lost Girl cast and crew for all these five years of passion. It was like great love story between two people. Now that the Lost Girl series is over, I feel empty or like after a baby blues. And thank you to you, Drinks at the Bell, for all your good work about my beloved series and all the informations we got through your Twitter and and blogs and recaps. So for you all, thank you, thank you. Merci beaucoup de France. Gros bisous. Au revoir. Thank you so much, Dominique, for your kind words that you said about the podcast. And I wanted to go ahead and thank everybody who sent us voice messages because pretty much all of you said really nice things about the podcast, but I edit out most of them because it felt a little, I felt a little awkward about it. But I just wanted to say thank you for your very kind words. We really appreciate it. Also, or- Stephanie is mean and efficient. <laughs> mean and efficient. Yes. No, I, I listened to some of the messages that I was really touched. So thank you. And like Dominique, we also want to say a big thank you to everybody who was involved in making Lost Girl just up front. Thank you. Yes, totally. Thank you. You don't know how much you uh, impacted our lives and made us the family. So thank you. And I wanted to start with that because... 
I'm going Uh-oh. to admit, that, like, okay, it's been difficult for me this week because I've been trying to figure out the right tone to strike when in entering this discussion. Because I, I'm going to be pretty critical of this episode, but I just want to say up front that my less than enthusiastic feelings about the finale are not indicative of my feelings toward the series. We are planning to do a subsequent podcast episode in which we discuss Lost Girl as a whole. I just want to make that separation. Like, just because I didn't like this episode doesn't mean I therefore don't like the entire series. Incidentally, I like the episode more having watched it a couple times without you swearing in my ear. <laughs> well, it was funny because a lot of people had different reactions, and I was struggling with different people's reactions after I had my own reaction. And then I realized that I just had to have my own reaction and, and stick to it in a way. And, you know, I understand why people don't like parts of the episode, and I have my own issues with it, but they're less so than my overall love for the episode and for the series. I, I personally really love the episode. And most of the issues that I have with this episode is that they used story choices, story devices, tropes, I'm not entirely sure what to call them, that I just generally have issues with. So it's not Lost Girl specific. And I do want to just say a big thank you to the cast and crew really specifically for all of the hard work that they put into this series. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But let's continue forward. And we got a a message from Matt, who said that he wasn't going to call in because he was going to be fairly negative about the show, but he decided to do so anyway. And I'm glad that he did. I think he has some thoughtful comments to make here. Saddened me how little I cared about the events of this episode. I found myself checking my phone, doodling, daydreaming, often in response to cringing at what the show was doing at the time. So many questions. Why would Hades saying mean words to Burr result in her falling into some kind of mind control? Why would sucking she out of her friends get her out of that control? Why have Vex get his throat slashed, then say his vocal cords were damaged just to have him be able to talk normally next episode? Why do Valkyries die in childbirth? If so, why keep the child if it was forced upon her and clearly part of Hades' plan? Why does Tamsin think of the baby as her legacy when she was raped for its conception? How does the rest of the world react to everyone dying in a city and then getting back up again in a few hours later? Perhaps if it happened in Canada, no one cares? <laughs> How's like just giving Hades love banishing back to Tartarus? How does Sticky taping up a magical horse show? <laughs> okay. I could keep going with, uh, on with this, but I think you guys get the idea. And you probably have plenty of questions yourselves. Nothing in this episode or really this season has grabbed me or made me feel anything, anything in particular. This show is about its characters first and foremost, and I think most of the fans would agree with me on that, so I understand the perspective that watching our characters interact and grow is more important than specific plot lines, but I would argue that both the utter lack of long-term tangible rules on this show, I'm talking about things like the Valkyries dying at childbirth randomly being thrown in uh, with no explanation, and the lack of any real coherent storyline uh, from season one to finish has really affected it very negatively. Uh, but what's done is done, and this show is over. I think I'll try to remember this show for its amazing first season and how much I fell in love with these characters in that first season. So thank you, Matt, for your comments. And while I, I don't agree with all of your nitpicks, like I, I do think that there were elements of the main plotline that were kind of shaky. And I think my my big, and I'm sorry, Chris, that I subject you to, to this, my, my big reason that I had trouble with this episode to begin with is, like I said in our discussion of Let Them Burn, I am really not a fan of this trope where our hero slash heroine is being possessed or goes evil and has to be brought back to the good side. Especially since this was the finale, I really wanted my main character to be in control of her own actions. And I agree with you, but at the same time, rewatching it, it bothers me less because I saw where they were going with it in the end. 
because it's like, oh, they're gonna like let her succumb to it so that she can pull herself back out. Yeah, and we kind of knew that was coming. You know, we we speculated about it, but you know, I'm a big softy. I personally love that flashback sequence and that the last part of it was Docubus sex. I did think of you, Annie. I was like, it's Annie's Docubus sex. It's flashback Docubus <laughs> sex, but it's Docubus sex. Exactly. I mean, that would bring me out of a stupor of destroying the world. So, you know, it worked for Bo. Because you're in that situation pretty often? Yeah, exactly. In my head. <laughs> no, but that that scene, you know, I knew it was coming, but... Uh, again, it worked for me just because what Bo said later, because I remembered, you know, your love and how you all taste brought her back. But again, I'm a big softy. So, you know, I knew it was a trope, but it worked for me. And I, I am trying to come around to it more because like you said, Chris, I, I do like that ultimately Bo chose the other thing rather than darkness they kept calling it good Mm -hmm. and evil and i I don't really like putting it in such black and white terms but yeah yeah that was a little nitpick but even though i love that really nice speech from kenzie and i you know i i would have been happy if kenzie reminding her of of their love for each other brought her back from the darkness like i actually like that it was just Bo who did it and Mm -hmm. you know her remembering you know, experiencing people that she loves, their love reminding her of who she is, bringing her back from the darkness. It's something we've seen before when she's come back and death didn't become him as well as phase wide shut and also in the dawning the ceremony. Yeah. So that's something that they have, uh, have established. And I liked that part that she was, she saved herself essentially. N- not even, not that I have any problems with people being saved by their friends. I'm a big fan of teamwork, but again, this is Bo's story, Bo's journey. I want her to save herself in the end. Right. Especially since that's a, as we were just talking about, a big recurring thing about Bo falling prey to this whole thing where something horrible happens and she's sort of overcome with whatever emotion and then it gets scary for a minute. So I like that it is this thing that essentially pushes her into this sort of scary parapist mode is also the thing that pulled her out of it. Well, and I did like the scene where the gang was encouraging her in the van because again it's the whole crux of the show she's like i can't control my power and lauren reminds her well when we met did you ever think you'd be able to control your abilities your succubus abilities so they're kind of all reminding her again in their own way because tamson's like because you're evil and at first i thought she was just being a jerk and then it's lauren who says i know no nope, she's actually pretty, she's good, actually at pretty good at this <laughs> yeah because like that lauren at this point as knows Tamsin well enough, and their friendship has developed well enough to know, she goes, nope, she's about to make a point. She's not being a, a wise-ass. Well, she is, but with purpose. <laughs> yeah. And then... She's mean, but efficient. <laughs> yeah, mean, but efficient. So, so that, you know, she goes, oh, but you're also good. Dyson, you know, clasps hands with her, and Lauren does it in her own way. And I just thought that was a really good, really efficient scene where they just all encouraged her in their own ways Again, they remind her that she has a choice and that she has she is empowered. Of course, it's great that Bo saves herself, but the fact that the family that she didn't have at the beginning of the series is also helping her do that and reminding her how to do that, how to save herself, I found pretty cool and pretty gratifying. Oh, yeah. I, I love that all of her found family was there with her as she faced down her father and they were backing her up. But I liked that it was just her. She was the one who both saved herself and then defeated her father so i oh yeah that was very appropriate i really appreciated that with their sailor moon battle (laughs) i was watching that and i personally thought the special effects were pretty cool you know for the most part and that the acting was very believable but then i'm like 
God, this had to look silly when they're shooting it mm-hmm. on the day. And, you know, but that's acting. It's good acting. But it was just so funny because Lauren's like, what's going on? <laughs> Kenzie's like, it just got Sailor Moon out there. Bo's giving the best HJ of her life. And I went, what's HJ? Oh, my God. Oh. <laughs> And I googled it at work, and it was that was the wrong thing to do. And I went, oh, click, oh shit, close the window. <laughs> nobody was looking at my screen. I hope, but I, you know, nobody gives me a textbook on these things. They clearly were trying to do a lot of callbacks to previous episodes, and I don't know if it was purposeful, but that one reminded me of like you can control people by touch, and not in a creepy handjob kind creepy of way. Hand job kind of. Yeah. I, I have to say, I I did giggle when uh, Eric Roberts. I mean, Hades made his opening attack move of, like, talk to the hand. (laughs) You know, yeah. And then at the end, when I was like, all she had to do was breathe her fire breathing, I need Tom's breath on daddy, and then he would have a really worried look and turn orange and then disappear. I mean, that part was kind of silly, because it was just, it's just the expression on Eric Roberts' face. Yeah, I'm like, oh, that's it. That's all she had to do. But that wasn't all she had to do. She was battling his like death ha- hand grip with her lovey hand, Lo- whatever. Lovey hand. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Ooh, love hands. Love hands. I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Yes, I Not want like some that, of those Annie. love hands. But I, I did love that that whole uh, conflict between them. The dialogue, I thought that was pretty good. And I did love, of course, they had her say the the show's tagline: "I will live the life I choose," and how much weight and meaning it had behind her. Behind that comment. I was glad that they did manage to get in that tagline from the opening credits from the first several seasons. Because it's never been said as far as we know. By, by Bo, no. Kenzie said something akin to it back in season two, back at the end of, I believe, Truth and Consequences, where Nate leaves and she's like, no, this is this is the life that I choose. I want to stay here with you. But Bo has never said it word for word like that before. Yeah. Mm, you go, Bo. But going back to the van where you're talking about Bo talking to her friends about how she can't control the Pyrrhus and they're they're reminding her like yes you can. I actually felt kind of gratified that she admitted that she couldn't because I remember back in the ceremony after she sucks all the chi from them and then brings Dyson back to life. She and Kenzie are like chilling at the bar and Bo makes some sort of comment about how oh and now I can control my group suck thing and I'm like that did not look like you could control it Bo. <laughs> so <laughs> I felt a little gratified that she was like no I can't. I'm like yes, thank you. <laughs> you couldn't before. <laughs> I guess maybe because she did manage to stop? I guess. Maybe? I guess, I guess. but you know, she still went all, you know, only I will choose who lives and who dies. Like that's But did she know that she did that? Well, I would imagine uh, would people mention that? I mean, maybe not. This is a group that clearly oh, doesn't that. talk about things. But I feel like I would I have said, know. like, oh, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You were kind of terrifying. Heads up, you know? <laughs> Might want to keep an eye on that. Just in case it flares up again. But but what was so funny was that Bo's, like, giving instructions. And I thought you'd appreciate this, Stephanie, when I thought about it. That they ha- they have a plan. And she's like, okay, you know, Lauren and Kenzie, you take care of Tam- Tamsin. And, you know, Vex, Mark, Dyson, you, got- you go out and fight the elders, but don't hurt anybody. And in the meantime, she's changing. And I'm like, what, the red dress is too dramatic? You know, or it's too flowy? You just... You know, I just find it hilarious that they have to fight Hades, but she's still finding time to change. Well, because she was wearing a ridiculous outfit. (laughs) Yes, yes, you agree, we agree on outfits. I think she just took that off. I think it would be restrictive when fighting, unless you're going to do your fight on, on like, a pop music stage. Blah, with the wind flowing. Exactly. Now we got bad blood. Don't sue me, Taylor Swift. I'm sorry. But hey! (laughs) 
<laughs> but yeah, here's the thing. I was like, oh, that dress is not working for me. No. But that last outfit, oh my god, so sexy. What she changed into. I just, I loved it. When I saw the promo shots, I'm like, oh my god, Anna, you look so good. She did look really good. Though I do not like the, the hell shoes tram- transformed into the hell boots. I thought those were pretty yucky looking. What, the hell boots that she was wearing on top of the penthouse? Yeah. Oh my god, but anything is better than the effing burlap, no, ugly ass not hell shoes. They're about on the same level as regards to unattractive. They cannot be on the same level. Oh my god. Do, no. do you like them because they're vaguely Xena esque, Annie? They're anything but burlap. They look like, I don't know, she tra- suddenly had dinosaur legs to me. They were strange looking. They did look kind of armored. You know what? Yeah, they did look kind of Xena-esque, and I thought it was cool. But I, <laughs> Bo's like changing in the middle of, you know, okay, you do this, you do this. Never mind that Hades is about to come and kill us all, but, but that I was, have to change. Well, because that was symbolic of who he wanted her to be, that red shirt That's and true. stuff. Yeah, and yeah. she was changing into something that was more like her. And apparently Vex had to change too, which is very important. You got to have the right footwear because he was wearing boots earlier in the episode when they were getting shot at by the officers, if you look at the long shots. And then when he goes yep. out to face everybody, he's wearing heels. Yeah. They're battle heels, Annie. They're battle heels. That was yeah. a great moment. I. It's funny to me that they only introduced him wearing heels at the beginning of season four, but it's kind of become a thing for him. And, and I like it. I'm glad that Vex yeah. was wearing heels as he went into what could have been his final battle. I think Paul has embraced the heels. I think so, too. He really has. And I don't know if, yeah, they just brought it up again because fans had such a great response to that crazy outfit that he was wearing at the beginning of season four that they had Paul Amos wear heels in promo shots, and which uh, he did tell me at the con they just did last minute to put him in heels. And then to have Vex become a heel collector, you know. But yeah, I hope he was wearing the Louboutins, the expensive, nice heels, the battle heels for that last battle. Can we jump back to the scene between Bo and Jack at the penthouse? When the hell shoes, the ugly hell shoes came back, that was then followed by that really intense exchange between Bo and Jack where he was trying to coax Bo into feeding. And that I thought was a really riveting sequence. I thought that was really well done. Because people like Matt and uh, Dorothy Snarker's uh, review, they they did question. So all it took was Jack talking smack about her friends in her ear for Bo to go blue-eyed. And I'm like, well, yeah, there's that. But the exchange works because the acting is so good. Jack is doing what he's talking about all of Bo's insecurities and fears and what she fears the most of all of her friends leaving, them dying, you know, her being alone. He just knows how to play that part like a fiddle. Right, because the whole point is that it is doing the mean girl thing and like poking at all of her fears and insecurities. I agree. And I think we've seen previously that when Bo gets really mad, gets really agitated because either somebody she loves is in in danger, but like when her emotion level gets really high, that is when she is most vulnerable to slip into dark queen mode. So I think actually it tracks with what we've seen previously when she's dipped into that multiple voices, scary talky thing. Right. Multiple voices, scary talking thing. <laughs> nice. That's exactly what happens, though. <laughs> well, I did think it was interesting that she said, well, I emancipated myself from you. And I'm like, well, yeah, but he did put the handprint back on you. I know. But then he was all, episode. the connection between us goes deeper than a handprint. Then why was the handprint such a big deal? I don't understand. I know. I know. And then, and then, well. Because it's a whammy. Damn it. never dies thing. So, yeah. But it's interesting that. She said, I was raised by a good mother, Mary Dennis, 
And I'm like, well, a mother who verbally abused you and called you evil and a demon child. But, you know, they had their reconciliation and made up. So, you know, Bo sees it differently now. But- well, and that was just the once, you know. <laughs> the majority of her childhood it was good. Like, And that's what she was I'm getting sure. at. Yeah. Well, because I thought they did it because I was thinking about that a little bit, too. But then thinking back to there's Bo plays like home, like they really sort of resolved a lot of the issues that they had there. Yeah. And because Bo's big realization that episode is like, oh, she did always love me. Right. But, you know, there's other stuff going on and involved there. So, you know, Bo still is the person she is largely because she was raised by parents who loved her. So, you know, that's the point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. That was my little nitpick about that. I think Anna was excellent in that scene. You know, I just how the tension keeps ramping up and up and then to where she's just like, okay, stop. And, you know, just screams out in torment. I thought she was really, really good. As you say, Stephanie, that really riveted me as well. Mm-hmm. That was definitely, I was very absor- absorbed by that scene. I wish they hadn't done quite as much cutting on second watch as like, I think these actors w- are good enough that they could have kept a more sustained shot the yeah, entire time. Just a long take. Exactly. But it, yeah. it still was really good. TV doesn't like to do that anymore. I know. It makes me sad. I know. Me too. But they're like, we have to get the coverage. And then, you know, the, the old, all the callbacks to I stopped running a long time ago, you know, just referring to the beginning of the series. And then I thought it was really cool when she went dark bow and all the callbacks to the lines that she had repeated previously when she goes dark queen, like only I will choose who lives and who dies. And then word for word from, you know, death didn't become him. I can be more powerful than all of the Fae. And and as she said it, I was so excited and I was like reciting the lines with her. I just, I love it when I have that experience. I'm like, I'm such a nerd. I did really <laughs> like that they went back to those previous incidents and just pulled the dialogue from there. I mean, maybe some people think that might be lazy, but I actually like that, that they, that they did that. Yeah, I, I think think it worked right yeah and that whole conversation between Bo and jack i was watching it and thinking like oh this is why they made some of the writing choices that they made in regards to in particular all the stuff that happened between Bo and tamsin at the beginning of the season where they hooked up and then Bo broke her heart and then having lauren break up with Bo again like they clearly wanted jack to be able to say look at all of the people that you've hurt or who didn't love you back and and really just but I don't know. I still don't think they needed to make those writing choices, and I still don't particularly care for them. I mean, yeah, and the thing is, is that (sighs) me seeing the end of the series and Bo and Lauren being together, it made me so happy. Only later, I kind of went back and went, so we went through the breakup for nothing? Yeah. You know, all that pain on the behalf of the fandom and the characters were like, crap, they put us through that for nothing? (laughs) It's not really for nothing so much as... You know, an excuse to get to this low point, as Stephanie was always, and, and it, dramatically, it wouldn't have made had as much impact if they hadn't broken up. I disagree. Like that. I think I, that I if they had spun out more thoroughly the conflict between the two of them, with Lauren potentially dying much sooner than Bo, I think he could have really dug deep into that. Like, even even if they were still together at this point, like, how could you ever make that work? You're, you know, she's going to die well before you do. You know, this, there's a reason why Faye and humans don't have relationships. I still think he could have played on her insecurities, even if they hadn't broken them up. And the thing with, like, Bo and Tamsin, Bo still could have broken Tamsin's heart without having trampled it so thoroughly and been so ridiculously crass in the process, I think. Again, I I understand now, okay, that's why they did those things, but it still didn't justify those choices for me personally. Right. Yeah. It's like, I see where they were going with it, but 
like certainly there's another way. We got a message from my friend Elizabeth and her boyfriend Dave, and it really made me smile. Thank you guys for sending this in. As far as the actual plan of the episode, that was really visualized for us in that mural that Hades kept underneath Bo when she was sucking Faye Ronto. <laughs> yeah, she sucked off all of Faye Ronto, <laughs> if I might be so crass. <laughs> How else do you say it? I don't understand. Uh, yeah, it was my favorite visual from the whole episode combined with the most confounding plot element <laughs> that really was never substantiated. That the visual of her above the city sucking in all the chi was pretty gratifying. But then there's this weird mural that's like a page out of Hades, you know, World Domination Activities book. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't connect all the dots. He did not connect all the dots. There was that sort of weird chalk outline, almost Gumby figure that didn't get filled in. Because apparently also this mural is exactly calibrated to the exact amount of chi that exists in Feyranto. Uh, down to six people. Down six, to six people are represented by that little figure. Yeah, I don't understand what he was doing with it. Like, was this the going to be the, the weapon by which he then conquers the rest of the world? It was really unclear. I mean... I love that he had taken the time to make sure that his mural had a an outline of the actual city sky. Yeah, it went a little etch a sketch. <laughs> the the weird mural aside, it was good that the show didn't seem to feel the need to torture its characters at the very end. You know, we know and they know that it's the end of the show, so they they kind of gave us some you know satisfying ways for people to uh, ride off into the sunset. Only Tamsin had to die. I, I gotta say, I, I didn't like that she had to because it, it seemed like a rather troubling way to to end her. But nonetheless, they'd set it up that way, and if they hadn't killed her, if if she hadn't risen or died or whatever, uh, I think it would have felt really disingenuous, you know, like they cheated us somehow to tell us that she had to and then not. Yeah, so we appreciated that there was a uh, a satisfying end to most people's storylines. Thank you guys for sending that in. You may be so crass as to say that she sucked off all of Faye Ronto. That made me laugh a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Hades drawing from his cartoon coloring book. It's like a chi gauge. (laughs) It is always fun, though, to kind of poke at the ridiculousness of some sci-fi fantasy stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, you just kind of have to say, you know what? It's a fantasy show. Fine, whatever. That's his chi gauge. It's perfectly attuned to all of the chi in the city. Sure. I also wanted to read what Bonnie said about the conversation between Jack and Bo we were talking about. Really, that was all that it took to turn Bo dark, and Bonnie said, In many ways, the conversation between Jack and Bo mirrors our own inner voices, sometimes making us feel insecure about things in our own lives. So moving on to talk a little bit about the, I don't like calling them this, but they were in a caravan, so I kind of have to call them the Scooby-Doo gang, don't I? So I had kind of a, a question, and I wanted to get your thoughts about the big kind of pause scene in the middle of the episode. It's after Bo has sucked Chietta out of everybody and the folks in the van have stopped and they're looking at all of the people on the street and Kenzie's like, Bo didn't do this. Jack made her do this. There's this weird conversation where nobody was trying to say we aren't going to save Bo, even though clearly she's the one who did all of this. But Kenzie's acting like they're saying that. That was a weird scene to me. I didn't quite flow for me very well. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was weird because Kenzie's like, well, no, it wasn't Bo, it wasn't Bo. And then you have Lauren and Dyson kind of 
not doubting her, but they're trying to present the evidence. But then with the way Kenzie is going, no, no, I, I can't believe you guys are saying this. I mean, to me, it almost make, made Lauren and Dyson look like they were doubting Bo and being out of character. But then in the next minute, they're going, okay, we're not going to give up on her. So it was some very strange back and forth writing. Yeah, it didn't flow for me. It was very strange writing. But the whole point, like, especially with Bo, we were talking about the whole thing about Jack. Like, Jack's big thing that he does is he makes Bo have doubts. And that's the downfall of Bo for, like, the middle of the episode. So I think to some extent they're playing with that with the the gang, I guess, right? Like, but I feel like they're pep-talking themselves is what I think is happening as much as anything. To me, it just sounded strange that they made it sound like Lauren and Dyson were doubting See, Bo. I didn't even get that impression. It just, he, they were stating a fact, like, clearly Bo did this. And they're like, oh. yeah, yeah, that's and true. they're kind of like, you know, we're worried about it. But that doesn't mean, that didn't mean they were going to stop. Because even Kenzie, I think at the end of it, or at some point says, you know, what if she's lost? And I think Dyson says, we're going to get her back. So even Kenzie worried that Bo might be lost to them, but at the same time, none of them thought that they sh- that meant that they shouldn't keep they, trying. They weren't going to quit. Exactly. Yeah. Lauren's like, God, please let there still be a Bo to save. Yeah, maybe the order of the lines could have been written differently. I don't know. But I thought that Ksenia was really great in it. It was like clearly like a, let's feature Kenzie in this scene, and it was a good scene for her. And I did like how it's very Dyson-like when Bo is on top of the caravan, and Dyson's like, I'll go, you know, typical Dyson, I'm just, I'll do it. And uh, Kenzie's like, nope, I am her heart. And I'm like, yep, you are, it's gotta be you. But uh, give Ksenia props for climbing that ladder in those, I think she wears the highest heels on the show. They look look like five-inch heels. They're really tall. They're insane. And that was a really emotional scene between Bo and Kenzie up on top of the caravan as well. And, And even though I knew... Bo was faking it when she started to be like, Kenzie, I, I, it's, it, I still like had hope that maybe I was wrong. So I really credit Ksenia and Anna for that, that even though I was pretty sure, nope, she's still evil. I was like, but maybe not. And Simone just said, but wasn't Kenzie a bit arrogant? Only Lauren and Dyson had talked about out of her dark Bo status before. I don't think so, because Kenzie hadn't been around. And I think the idea was just that people really close to her who knew her, who she loved, they're the ones who could talk her down from that so i don't think that was arrogant of her to think that she could and like everybody knows that kenzie is Bo's heart they've said it a billion times Mm -hmm. everybody knows and i did like that bit where kenzie did apologize and she said i know i've been gone but you were still with me every second i kind of liked how they've handled Bo and kenzie being apart this season i didn't like that they were apart but i think actually it was handled pretty well i i like that Bo never tried to throw that back in kenzie's face i like that she was always very understanding about why she had to leave so what did y'all think about, since we're talking about Kenzie, what did y'all think about that final scene between Bo and Kenzie in this episode? I'm annoyed that it was the uh, final scene between Bo and so, Kenzie. Yeah, I so know. that part, okay, that part, but the scene itself was beautiful. And to me, it was like, you know, the things that they've said before, you're my sister, and Kenzie says, I love you, and kisses her on the cheek. And I just, I thought it was, that's that's everything that they are. That's, that's a Benzie. I did think it was very good, and I liked the content of it, but it's like, why does Kenzie have to leave? I know. I, I know. was really bummed that she wasn't in the last scene of the episode. I was really bummed. I was a little afraid when Bo was talking to baby Dagny and saying, you know, you have to go away for a while. I'm like, 
Bo, what are you doing? Are you sending her away with like some stranger human family, like some foster family? And then I was so relieved when she got out and Kenzie was on the hood. I'm like, oh, she's going with Kenzie. She'll be in safe hands. But yeah, I was trying to figure it out because I was like, whose car is that? Is that Dyson's car? Yeah. Where are they going? But the thing is, is that, yeah, that was one of my issues with the finale is why wasn't Kenzie in the last scene? It, to me, it made no sense. I mean, even within the context of the scene, you know, okay, Kenzie raised you, whatever. She still could have like run up in the doll and went, got up to Dagny and went, okay, young lady, where, where the heck were you? You know, she could, they could have written her in. It just, I mean, Michael Grassi did. He was asked about that in the Cinephiles interview afterwards. And, you know, quote, the decision was about respecting Kenzie and her uh, decision to stay away from the Fae colonies. But that doesn't fly with me. I mean, it's just like, it's Kenzie. She had to be there for the last scene. I just, I don't understand why she wasn't there. And I'm like, was Ksenia not available on the day? Because she's really busy. But I'm like, probably. That's the only acceptable reason yeah. to not have her but in the last scene. For me, though, I would say, like, no, 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 you need to reschedule that shit so that Ksenia could be there. Exactly. And the I thing know. is, is that the cast had mentioned before that that was the last day they shot. That was the last scene they shot. And, like, Rick Halland and people who were, they said were off the show at that point, they were all there at that last scene. And I'm like, why well, wouldn't have Ksenia have been there? So my only guess is that it was a scheduling issue. But still, it's like, no, I would have written it that way that she had to be in that last scene. That really didn't ring true with me. Because like, she's got the ring now. She's immune to Faye bullshit. <laughs> and it felt weird to me that clearly Dagny was still a teenager. It's not like she was 25 or something like that. It seems strange to me that Kenzie would just be like, oh, yes, go, go back to Faye Ronto without me. I, I just... I know, that was the thing. Like, why wouldn't Kenzie have brought her yeah. in? Like, there's a perfectly reasonable reason to have her come back. Yeah, to. What? I, I didn't understand that at all. It's like, okay, so she raised her and then was just like, okay, you can go now. Or like, maybe Kenzie's still in town. But again, why wouldn't she be there? And why was she not aware of where Dagny was? Yeah, even though I'm surly that it wasn't at the very end of the episode that she wasn't there for the like, the big group scene, I did like that that scene quite a lot. It's a little bit stating the obvious, yeah. but still, like it, it's the end of the series, so uh, you kind of need to, you know, you know they're going to. So I thought they did it well. Uh, yeah, I mean it was a sweet scene, but I don't know. I okay. So Chris, what is this story that you have about Carrie Fisher and George Lucas? <laughs> okay, so I was at Star Wars Celebration 2, and Carrie Fisher was a guest there. We went to go listen to her her panel where she sort of gave a talk, right? And she was telling this story about, I think she co-wrote an episode of the Young Indiana Jones series. She co-wrote it with George Lucas. At some point, Carrie Fisher goes, but George, nobody talks like this. And then George Lucas says, but I do. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> I gotta say, the Bo and Kenzie scene, I did have a moment where I wanted to say to the screen, but George, nobody talks like this. When Kenzie was saying, like, you know, I almost gave up on you, but then I didn't, or something like that. It was really awkward. I just want to say, but George, nobody talks like this. You say that about all the dialogue. No, not all the dialogue, just some of it. Just like half of it. <laughs> Most of it. Am I wrong? Come on. That was a little... No, it's, again, it's a little on the nose and uh, 
And also, what? Yeah, I think I just had so many happy feelings in general about this episode. I wasn't, the dialogue didn't break me out of the happy bubble I was in. I was like, whatever, I'll let it slide. You know, and only later when Stephanie complains about it do I go, oh, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. But whatever, There's I don't another care. one coming There's up, you know there is. Up. <laughs> I know, and I'm going to hate you for it. <laughs> because I still don't care. We also got a message from Bonnie, who is BT Farrar on Twitter. So here's what Bonnie had to say. Sad as I am that Lost Girl is over, I am eternally grateful for the way that it ended. I loved everything about the ending of the show. The finale was perfect in just about every way. My only fault I could see is I thought it really could have stood to be a little longer. I wanted a little bit more of a conversation between Lauren and Bo at the very end. I feel like with everything that has happened, everything they've been through, they really needed a bit more of an emotional moment where they, where Lauren really realized that she needed to be with Bo and she really bared her heart and soul to Bo in that sense. Other than that, I thought it was perfect. All I knew Docubus was going to be endgame. I wasn't worried about that aspect. Best thing about Lost Girl, probably hands down, is the family. I look forward to interacting with everybody still on Twitter and can't wait to see you guys at more cons. So I, Stephanie Bieber. Oh, Christ. (laughs) Stop making fun of Lauren Lewis. I podcaster stephanie beaver <laughs> that's right except that's not my name that's, that's right. your name i podcaster <laughs> stephanie beaver would like to ask you podcaster <laughs> chris kwan how you felt about the Bo and lauren exchanged at the end of this episode i loved it is your name chris kwan no it's not stop popping holes in my shit <laughs> first and last name <laughs> how do you get confused when i call her by her first and last name <laughs> Which is so natural for me to do. <laughs> I always do it. Stephanie Beaver. <laughs> Stephanie Beaver I don't know and why Chris you Kwan, you are really irritating me right now. Chris Kwan. But I guess I still like you. Chris Kwan. I'm desperate to hear your opinion, Chris Kwan. Yeah, that's uh, it, it's a little uh, awkward and clunky and, and nobody talks like nobody that, George. Nobody talks like that, George. <laughs> And I agree with Bonnie because I was perfectly content to see Bo and Lauren end up together. I felt like it was pretty clear that it was that was going to happen pretty much since the end of season three of this damn show. Mm-hmm. But it felt like the resolution between the two of them was very short changed because what really has changed between the two of them from Judgment Bay when they broke up and this episode where they got together? Well, Lauren and Dyson had that brief exchange in yes, the car. That's it. <laughs> So and apparently Lauren was like, you know, it's not like she'll be alone. Well, no, that was really sweet. I did really appreciate that Dyson said that to each other. To me, that was, I love that Dyson and Lauren's relationship had come to that point where they weren't worried about Bo. You know, they weren't rivals. They could truly just love Bo, both love Bo, and accept where they were at this point in their lives that... You know, Lauren wanted to still be with Bo and love Bo. And after she was gone, Lauren was okay with Bo being with Dyson. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. That comment that she makes to Dyson about, I know when I die, she'll have you. I don't know that she necessarily meant y'all can be together. To me, I thought she was more saying that she knew Dyson would always be there for her and help her and wouldn't let her get you know, caught in her sadness and would help her move on after Lauren died. It's more about not being alone in the sense of, like, having people who love her in her life. Not necessarily in a romantic sense. People have other relationships, Annie. And and Bo and Dyson have moved 
yeah, kind of beyond that. But you exactly, know. Exactly, because I feel like Bo has said to Dyson several times, like, I don't, I love you, but I'm not in love with you. But it you. changes. Yeah, it changes yeah. over time. Right. So I don't know that necessarily that was the intention behind Lauren's line, either from the writer's perspective or Lauren's perspective. I felt like she was just saying, I know people will be there for her after I'm gone and who will love her and and want to take care of her and help her the way that I do. Yeah. And maybe I'm just being putting magnanimous intentions in Lauren's line. I don't know. And I mean, it's not like that's beyond the realm of possibility either. Yeah. yeah. But it's not specific about, specifically about that type of relationship. Is yeah. All I'm but I, I did think that was a really sweet scene. I did too. Although I do have to, I do have to ask how Dyson knew about the Karen Beattie days. I'm like, I thought only Crystal knew about it. But. Well, she told Bo. Oh, she told Bo, yeah. yeah. So I guess it's trickled out since then. I guess. But, but okay. So, I mean, I mentioned in our short podcast, I will have to eat a large amount of crow and say, yes, everybody who reassured me that Documus will be together after they broke up. I mean, it's just because the breakup devastated me so much, it was hard for me to believe that they would get back together as much as I really did want it and wanted it to be Endgame. So when it happened, I think my joy was just so overwhelming, it overwhelmed any awkward dialogue, whatever. But yeah, I agree with Bonnie. I wish that they had had more of a scene there. And it did seem like Bo just went, okay, yeah, we're good. You know, yeah, I wish that scene had been longer. Yes, I wish they'd talked about their issues more. And that's why I think this episode needed to be twice the length. See, I don't think the problem was in this episode. I think the problem was in how they executed the Bo-Lauren relationship storyline over the entire season. Because, yes, yes, that, you know, they got back together. Because they could have gotten together sooner. They could have talked about it more after they broke up. They could have not broken up in the first effing place. They got back together. But it's TV, so they were gonna. They got back together. They didn't talk about the issue that broke them up the first time, particularly being Bo not being able to be fully mononymous. Magnanimous. Monotonous. Monogamous. Bo not being able to be completely monogamous. There we go. To, yes. <laughs> to Lauren. They didn't talk about that at all. How? Because I'm so curious about that. It's like, okay, how are they going to negotiate that in their relationship? Is it changed? Is Bo not as hungry now? Can she survive just on Lauren? Do they have different rules? How are they going to negotiate that? Because that's what led to Lauren breaking up with her in the first place. And then they didn't have any sort of meaningful conversation about the fact that one's human and one's fate. Like, I just feel like they didn't fully explore what could have been a really rich, complicated relationship between these two characters. Yeah, because the the relationships, like every time there is an actual relationship, it never lasted for that long Mm -hmm. in any sort of like continuous way, which I, I think is the real problem with it. That's because the it's a show and they always have to create what they call drama instead of just having a happy relationship that's fully explored for a while, which is frustrating too. It's like why can't but there's, a show there's drama just to do be that had in exploring their right. relationship, particularly their relationship. I know, and why couldn't why couldn't the show just do more of that over the run? But I mean it's over and done now, but I think in terms of this last conversation they had, they at least left it open and they yes, I mean I like how Bo repeated the line were complicated we're messy it's like yeah we're still going to talk about these issues but for now we'll still make the decision to commit to each other so yes unfortunately everything after that will come off screen but you know it was documents endgame i didn't you know yes it could have been done better but i was just so happy i didn't care you know about the nitpicking as much well, I, it kind of makes me sad that you think that we're nitpicking because I, I think that there should be it should be not meaningful nitpicking, but it just that was my problem is you know we got this ending which I was perfectly happy with but it felt kind of hollow to me because 
they had well, if you're perfectly this- happy with it then there's if it's hollow then that's nitpicking i'm kidding not really you know we have them together at the end without one of them dying yet and that's really important and that's what so many people wanted and got out of the show in this relationship. I'm just trying to see the, the good in it. And yes, the script was awkward with Lauren saying, I, you know, a human Lauren Lewis, take you, Bo Dennis. But it's like wedding vows. And then she says, I do. Can we do this? Yes. You think I we got can that, do this? But I don't I- think they needed to insert the human in the succubus thing. Because I'm like, but that's a dialogue time that could be used for talking about yeah. these other important things. That's true. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, again, I didn't see these issues until later because I was just so happy that it happened because I was so devastated by them breaking up, which, you know, looking back, wasn't totally necessary. As you say, they could have just been been together. Well, and, and that's why this reconciliation at the end feels kind of hollow to me because there was this really forced breakup that didn't need to happen and didn't really make sense and then they got them back together it just well would you rather they not gotten back together i would rather they not have broken them they not have broken up place i'd rather the point is if they were going to break them up and they had that whole breakup speech about why they were breaking up but they never followed up on it that's the point that stephanie and i are making because Bo didn't even like seem to react to it because if you're gonna do it follow through on it and make it worth doing in the first place the drama of it was hollow. I, uh, I'm just they saying. They did it for the drama, but they didn't follow through on it. Annie hates both of us yeah, right do. now. Well, at least they're promising to still talk about the drama later. That's what I'm saying. No, it didn't show up on screen. But that's, yes, that's, that's the problem we have. It should have. Yes, I admit it. But it just... Uh. Our problem is not with them ending up together. I mean, I'm, I'm good with that. But the storyline of the season of... Getting them together, breaking them up, and then getting them back together, it it didn't carry any actual dramatic weight. Because we had it did for Tam- me because it almost killed me. Because we had Tam- Lauren talking to Tamsin about it a little bit it, in the in the episode subsequent to Judgment Fay, and then she had this little conversation with Dyson, which I had actually back in the day I had talked about how it felt like a missed opportunity that we didn't see Dyson and Lauren talking about their respective relationships with you know, fake human relationships back when Dyson was having his thing with Alicia. And I was like, oh, maybe they're they're coming back to that. But it felt like they were taking the opposite parts in the conversation that they should have because Dyson just had this really brief encounter with Alicia and he's trying to tell her, he's like acting like the expert, like it's worth it, you know, you need to do it, Lauren. And it just didn't quite work for me because of that. <sighs> okay, okay. I mean, it's not that you guys are wrong. I'm just, uh, I don't know. I just liked the last scene. I was happy that it happened. I mean, if it didn't happen, I would have felt even worse about the finale. I thought it was very sweet initial dialogue clunkiness aside. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it gave us something. It's not perfect. I know. It's done. You know, uh, I think we broke Annie. I think we broke Annie. We're not trying to say you shouldn't be happy, but just for me personally, I had trouble being as ecstatic as some people were, even though I was perfectly fine with the ending. And I thought, you know, ooh, sexy lady kissing on the on the car. That's really nice. But because it didn't have this build up to it, it just felt really hollow to me, and that makes me sad. Chris, do you have anything else you want to say? No. Okay. Or it was really hot. Your name is not Chris, Annie. <laughs> 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 just trying to make myself feel better about this whole conversation. Well, and, and, and like, we're not trying to be mean, but I, I think that we have some fair critique to to contribute I know, to the conversation. I, know. It's, 
I mean, it was, yeah, it was rushed and, but I would take this Docubus ending a million times over the way Xena ended or all the other sad and tragic LGBT characters that have had devastating endings. All the flaws aside, I would take this ending over that any day. And that's fair, but I think that we should also strive for more, is what I'm saying. <sighs> well, next time there will be more. But about the last scene, I did like in the enhanced version, when Bo is looking at Lauren, it says, Bo, it says script text, Bo watches Lauren. Her love is stronger than any doubt. And I'm like, oh, I love that. Yeah, Jay actually commented that she thought the last scene was kind of vague. So she was confused about Bo and Lauren's relationship at that point. She's like, are they still together? I was expecting to see rings, but I didn't. But I only watched it once, so I could be wrong. So I think given that script note, they were intended to be together still. And actually, I'm, I would be okay if they didn't have rings and weren't married. I think it's fine if people don't want to get married. Stop telling me to get married, people. <laughs> yeah, whatever you do, do it's not fine if they don't mention marriage to Stephanie. <laughs> yes, I found that out when I asked her. I've never done it because I know better. <laughs> You're welcome. And we had the traditional, as you would like to say, the traditional Bo Lauren kiss in the in the finale. And we also had yes. the somewhat traditional Dyson being somewhat in the middle of that kiss. Docu block. In the background. <laughs> Except he was he was over to the side though. Yeah, so But I, I feel like And shirtless. But that's like the third time that's happened, right? Because there was the kiss so at the end of season two, there was also in the ceremony before Bo went into Oh the ceremony. Yeah, right. went into and you know, they kiss He's literally he's like in between them. Framed in, yeah. the, literally, in the middle. Yeah. yeah. But you know what in this instance it was real it was kind of sweet because Lauren just kind of smiles and eye rolls and they're all kind of laughing about it. So, you know, again, it's where their relationship is at as a, as friends. Well, and I, and I think it was also a nod to the fact that they are still kind of weirdly intertwined with each other, even if Bo and Lauren are in the relationship and Dyson's kind of over Because the red string of fate. It, yes, it ties them all together. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> red piping on the jacket. Who was right? I was right. <laughs> I do really like that moment when Lauren is all embarrassed about Dyson walking up to them and catching them smooching. It was a very Lauren moment. Yep. But let's listen to a message from our friend Sally, who is on Twitter as S Heaven. She also blogs over at Unaligned. We are unaligned.com. And let's hear what Sally had to say. She's going to back you up, Annie. It'll lift your spirits. Hey, guys. This is Sally. I wanted to let you know that I loved the Lost Girl finale. I was so happy that Bo and Lauren ended up together. I think that it's just huge. There was some time that I was afraid to hope, but I was just delighted about it. I do want to take a moment to acknowledge outside of the story of Lost Girl, this is also huge for LGBT representation on TV. I can't think of another show where a same-sex female couple had a happy ending, much less when one half of that couple was the main character of the show. I mean, that's just, it's a really big, important thing. So I wanted to take a moment to just say thank you to everyone who, you know, made that show and made those decisions and made them happen. I also loved the finale because it was very kind of nostalgic almost about all of the friendships and the history on Lost Girl. And that's why so many of us have loved that show. And the fact that most of the characters anyway, that it was a happy ending. And even Tamsin's death wasn't tragic, but it was a rising. It is so great to have a show that I love so much where I feel good about how it ended. I have a lot of shows that I love that the ending was just terrible. So hooray for Lost Girl. 
I, I'm with Sally on a lot of that. I'd yeah, like to point out that in this finale, we actually only got queer couples with happy endings because who are the couples left standing? They are Bone Lauren and Vex and Mark, strangely. And if Vex and Mark are actually together, I know, apparently. Which I think they are. They might just be hand holding friends. Be- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we hand- hold hands like that sometimes, Chris, don't we? <laughs> Uh, I cannot think of a time now. <laughs> Rather, when Stephanie keeps grabbing onto Chris, yeah. Just your weird leg grabbing. <laughs> I want to be friends with Stephanie. You are. <laughs> yeah, I know, but like that kind of hand grabbing, leg grabbing type friends with Stephanie. I want to. This is, this is enlightening. Friends, quite not with benefits, polyamorous <laughs> friendship with Stephanie. I mentioned in our short episode that. When Mark and Vex intertwine fingers and hold hands, it genuinely made me go, aw. Didn't I go, aw, Chris? I, actually, you went, aw. But what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> it's true. I did. What do, you, it's, what do you think it means? It's the promise of a new relationship. That's what I was hoping. means eventual sex. But the reason I wasn't entirely <laughs> sure was because it kind of came out of nowhere for me. Because Right, because, like, did Mark even know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we knew they were friends, yeah. but... I mean, that's all we ever got from Mark's perspective, because we knew Vex liked Mark. They'd indicated as much, but we never got that same indication about Mark, because Mark we'd only seen, what, with Iris and... The blonde woman. The girls at the beginning of the... Ugh. Yeah. It was sweet, but I, I, but at the same time, I thought, okay, I, I didn't even know Mark was even considering because we heard heard him talk about Vex in the previous episode with Dyson. But all he says is like, I trust him, and that to me wasn't like I want to have sexy times. Like that's not a natural extension of I trust him. He trusts him with his love. <laughs> yes, it's just <laughs> that was originally going to be a dirtier version, I but then I cleaned say, it up. I was like, damn it, Chris. You <laughs> uh, should have put it in there. <laughs> He trusts him with his man junk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and by men junk, I mean teacups. <laughs> we got an email from Davia who said, I'm amazed that with one line, the character of Mark was redeemed. I just love him and Vex together. And I did really like that line. See, I'm complimenting the dialogue, Annie. The, you know, I have made one choice, though, and, and he holds out his hand. And it's and they all take about it. choices. And I really yeah. liked that moment. I thought it was lovely because Jay said that instead of hand holding, they should have kissed. But I actually liked that it was a hand hold instead of a kiss. I kind of wish they had kissed later on at the doll when Mark came in. Yeah, me too. But yeah. I, I, because Vex has clearly been more comfortable being like more sexually overt. I kind of like that it was this really sweet, pure, just little handhold moment, personally. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, I kind of agree with you, because I was like, oh, what if the handholding had led to a kiss? But I'm just thinking if it had. It was kind of a weird shot, though, I thought, for the shot to go from Vex and Mark handholding, and then pan up to Bo, still releasing all the cheese. Oh, I liked that shot. Well, I'm thinking if they had kissed, Bo would have been like, hey, stop macking on each other, you guys. We still have- Bo is not Tamsin. She would have left them alone. I was going to say, Bo, Bo's never against people macking on each other, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> Bo would be like, hmm. <laughs> Good job, guys. But yeah, you're, you're right, though, Stephanie. I think it would have been nice if they'd been more obviously coupley at the doll at the yeah, last scene. That would have been sweet. And I again, I felt like Mark was pretty well used in this episode like he was last week. I'm glad he brought on Vax and his caravan. Though, I did think that Matt 
brought up a good point as to why last week were they all Vex, his vocal cords were severed, but none of his major arteries yeah. miraculously. And then this episode, he's like, I'm cool. I'm good. Let's go. I got an attractive bandage on my neck. Exactly. With a scarf around it because it has to look yes. good. Of but, course. you know, I think it's just Dr. Lewis and her magic touch. She can use it on me anytime. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder, it's like, did Paul Amos like lose his voice for an episode and they had to cover it up? What happened there? No, That's weird. I'm sure it wasn't. They just Here's my guess. In the writers' room, the audio or the uh, writers were like, you know what would be hilarious if we just had Paul silent for a whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, does Vex live in that caravan? I don't know. But I, I to me personally, I was like, why? Why did we have to wait till this last episode to reveal this bit of genius? You know, of course he's got the mascara and heels and condoms, and I like how Kenzie was like, uh, disco balls and very weirdly Irish crucifixes, like fuzzy hats and purple spiders. Every time I watched it, I saw something new. So I just thought the production design of Props Team must have had such a blast designing that set. I actually like that we got to see something that we hadn't seen about Vex before since he is a secondary character i think actually the finale is kind of a fun place to do that like oh by the way here's where vex lives like i kind of i think that he does and he live has there a fluffy per- fluffy blue blanket yeah yeah i wouldn't have expected that, that gave but... birth under here you go vex <laughs> uh, yeah yeah <laughs> hopefully you have a washing machine in there too thanks for thanks for the loan buddy <laughs> And the, the Puppet Master license plate. Yes. That was too much. <laughs> I also quite liked the music that Vex was playing in his caravan. In particular, I really liked that first song <laughs> that was playing. It was called I Want to Show You by Patrice Danny Carey. And then they were also playing yeah, kind of I bet he a... wants to show Mark some stuff. <laughs> and then they were also playing a fake kind of punky song, kind of a, a not, what's the best? It was kind of Clash-like, I guess, song called London Boys by Richard Myhill. We also got a message from Angela, who is Zine Gab Forever on Twitter. I really, really, really liked the season finale. It didn't solve all of our issues or all of our problems, and I didn't like that Timson died, but I really, really liked how they definitely gave us a non-Hollywood ending for our documents. So thank you for that message, Angela. I really appreciate it, and I know that Annie is with you on that one. So Dyson didn't have a heck of a lot to do in this episode, but I did notice that we got a continuation of the Dyson needs to learn how to be a leader theme from Follow the Yellow Brick Road, because we have that moment where Lauren tells him when they have their nice little talk in the van, like, I'm glad that you're leading us or whatever. And I kind of don't understand why they're taking this tack with Dyson in these last couple of episodes. Because wasn't that the point of the end of season two is like, Bo was totally ready to hand off the leadership role to Dyson, who was really willing to take it. Well, and and to me, I, I kind of see where they're going in that Dyson has always been a follower, right? He's a soldier. He's be- had his allegiance given to Trick, to Bo. So I understand them maybe focusing on the Dyson is willing to step up and be a community leader type of thing. That's kind of different for him. But he's always been comfortable leading the gang into these battles, you know? Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe he lost some of his confidence overall leading anybody after Trick died. I don't know. He's just still reeling from the loss of his mentor, I guess. I don't know, of the Blood King. Yeah, I did feel it was a bit of a repetitive line when Lawrence said, well, I'm glad you're the one leading us. And I'm like, well, he has been. And he wasn't really. They were all in it together. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, whatever. He was there to support Docubus. That's what I was happy about. (laughs) 
I'm also super curious as to what Dyson thought about Mark's choice in partners, because even though we did see him being kind of buddy-buddy with Vex here, he like puts his hand on his shoulder as they're driving off to try to go save Bo. He still was not 100% thrilled with Vex in the last episode, so I I wish we had gotten a little more reaction to, like, really, this guy? Not that he, I don't think he would care necessarily that Mark, that Vex was a dude, but, you know, just it was Vex. Yeah, again, had the episode been a little longer, they could have thrown in a, not a snarky, not a disrespectful comment, but still, you know, it's like if Mark came into the doll at the end and kissed Vex and Dyson could have been like, yeah, you guys... <laughs> Okay, don't stay out too late. Whatever. Vex, use a condom. <laughs> I don't I don't want mascara kitties yet. <laughs> I may be old, but I don't want to be a grandfather yet. I d- but one thing about Mark that I forgot to say was that uh, I kind of wish Mark and Dyson had shifted mm, in the last battle. Yeah. That would have been kind of cool to see, especially since there was so much emphasis on Mark shifting. But I figured they used all the special effects for the light. For the fire and bright lights. For the and- fire and the light bright chi yeah. and the all that. So they ran out of money. It would have been nice even if they hadn't, even if they could didn't have the budget for them to shift all the way. If they did like a partial shift, the way that Dyson will do sometimes, where he'll will get his like his wolfy eyes and his teeth, maybe. Because that growl. would have been yeah. cool to see a partial shift with uh, Mark, Mark mm-hmm. and to see what that looked like. Yeah. We talked a little bit in our short episode, but I did find it nice that Dyson was like behind the bar in the doll. I liked seeing Dyson in that trick role. I thought that was a nice logical ending for him as a character. It was very right. appropriate. Yeah. He's the next oldest guy there. So <laughs> We need another old white guy. <laughs> who, who we got? <laughs> <laughs> He's an old guy in a vest. Put it behind the bar. <laughs> well, let's move on with a message from Katya. Thank you for this message that you sent us. I haven't really processed the final. I was so sad about Tamsin dying. Uh, she's my absolute favorite character on that show. I love everything about her. I'm really, really sad that she died. I'm still not over it. I don't know if I'll ever be over it. I was absolutely in tears when she died. Didn't think I would react that way, but I think the way she died was just so emotional. I'm going to say it. Sorry, Docubus fads, but I really like Tamsin and Bo together. I wish they'd ended up together. But kind of everything. I'm still happy with um, the fact that Lauren and Bo got together at the end. I like them too. Yeah, that's all I can really say. So sad. So, so sad. Oh, Tamsin. Poor, poor Tamsin. It's okay, Kat. Whoever people wanted people to be with. I mean, I loved Ocubus, but I was really devastated when Tamsin died. Because now you can't have Kapta. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> This is Stephanie in the editing room. I kind of lost it for a while here while we were recording, and there wasn't a way that I could do a good, clean edit where it wasn't super obvious that I had cut out a huge chunk and suddenly was not hysterically laughing. So I'm going to use this opportunity to insert a voice message that we received from Simone from Berlin that came in after we actually recorded this episode. So here's what Simone had to say. I really don't know what to think about uh, 516. So emotions and so thoughts are a bit unclear because this is the series finale and the last episode ever. I was a bit nervous because of the previous 15 episodes. And I actually didn't expect that they would make Docubus that clear in the end. So I'm rather happy but also sad to say goodbye to the first series I was that into and close to. 
thank you for your message, Simone. And I know how you feel. This is the first fandom I've think I've ever really been this involved with. And so it's going to take a bit of adjustment to figure out what to do now that Lost Girl is over. I think I've still got my toe dipped in. That's a weird metaphor. I'm still planning to be involved in fandom. Our podcast is going to still be around for a while. If you didn't hear the message that we released prior to this episode, we are still planning to do the podcast for a while. There are a bunch of episodes from seasons one through three we haven't talked about, as well as just other topics in general that we still have stuff to say on. So we're planning to do this podcast for as as long as we continue to have fun and have things to say. So we're still going to be around in Lost Girl fandom, and I think fandom will continue to be present on Twitter and Facebook and things like that for a while. But I share Simone's feeling that it's kind of it's difficult to know how to feel now that the series itself has ended. And now Chris is going to provide us a transition back into our regularly scheduled discussion. <sighs> Tamsin. Poor, poor Tamsin. From the email that Davia sent us, she also said, I also love that Bo didn't abandon Tamsin, but gave her the tools to free herself. Tamsin was given a respectful end given the brutal things done to her earlier. And I liked that too. I liked that Tamsin got to let herself out of the cage. Yes. Yes. And the thing is, is that I was kind of worried about it because I didn't watch the whole promo, but I saw a tiny bit of it that they released before the episode aired of the scene where Tamsin is begging Bo, please say something. And I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to see more of Tamsin being so victimized. And so that's how she's going to end up is just, you know, so defeated and everything. So that was great that she got the key. So it was good. It's, as you said, Stephanie, it did it did my heart good as well to see Tamsin strutting and taking out all those cops and doubting them all just just like that back to her badass self yeah but Sally mentioned in her previous message that that her death wasn't tragic and and I have trouble saying that it wasn't just because I I do feel like she didn't have to die if the writers hadn't included this thing about oh all Valkyrie yeah. die in childbirth there was no reason Tamsin had to die. I feel like Tamsin is yet another tragic victim of the mystical pregnancy trope. I, I certainly am not happy with the choices, and I'll never be happy with the writing choices of the rape and the mystical pregnancy and the all Valkyries die in childbirth line that was just somehow sprung on us. So that means Tamsin's going to die. But just the scene where she died was still really well done and emotional. and I just was sobbing. It, it affected me personally because I was like, wow, I just, I really grew to love this character. It's not just, oh my God, person who's getting in way of Docubus. No, I really, really love this character and how she grew in the last few years and how she became part of the family. But, you know, again, yeah, she didn't have to die. You know, the writers, oh, they want to create drama. So we'll use a rape and mystical pregnancy to create all of this to create this legacy that Tamza keeps talking about. But there coulda, woulda, shoulda, there had to have been better ways to do it. You could have still had Tamsin get pregnant if they wanted the point of having Dagny there to show full circle and all that stuff. But there there are different ways that storyline could have done. A million different ways than what they did to so traumatize Tamsin. And I think that Matt made a good point as in that, and this is, I think, it's just another thing that's problematic about the mystical pregnancy trope. You know, we had Tamsin who conceived this child out of a, a rape and... She kept the baby, she had the baby, and now this is her her legacy. Like, I, I can understand trying to make a, a thing okay out of a bad situation, but it just it just doesn't feel right to me that 
this traumatic thing happened to her and she's supposed to spin it into like, oh, this is how I'm going to live on after I rise is through my daughter. I uh, Especially since they establish it as like, this is the thing that's going to kill you. Yeah. It's a little, their logic is a little iffy there to me. Yeah. Again, I liked that last scene, but the way they got there, the journey of how they got there, what they put the character through was totally unnecessary. I, I, I agree. Like, I was surprisingly moved and touched and didn't hate her death scene i thought rachel was really good in that moment and i think that you know that line that she has about when it comes to valkyrie we you know our our last life we was not called dying it was called rising i love the special effect that they use i thought that was all really beautiful Me too. and it was a really yeah. bittersweet nice moment but i just don't think they had to do that to the character that Wait, I figured she was going to die, but they did not have to kill her through a rape, a mystical pregnancy, and childbirth. Right. Yeah. I do agree with what your friend Elizabeth said, though, that given that they established it, I mean, again, I'd rather they not have established that, but since they did, they had to do it. It would have felt really cheap if they'd somehow wormed their way out of it. Yeah. You know? I also really liked that Bo offered, but Tamsin turned her down, and then that, she was given the choice, is what I'm saying. Can I can I ask you, Chris, I think you and I had a conversation a little bit about this, but when Tamsin's giving birth and they have that little exchange about how she says, I should be out there fighting, I'm a warrior, and then Lauren and Kenzie both say to her, like, no, this is what you're doing is really brave, this is what it means to be a true warrior. How did you feel about that exchange? I think anybody who um, gives childbirth should be given a medal. <laughs> I, I haven't yeah, done it, I, but... I don't disagree, Annie, because... Yeah. Uh, I mean, I do appreciate that they're sort of acknowledging that that's hardcore badass mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know. I, I had issues with it because I, I agree, like, you know, pushing a, something the size of a watermelon out to something the size of a lime, that's that takes effort. It's badass. We should or lemon. We should uh, reward that. However, there was a bit of like reinforcing women's traditional roles to me and especially since Tamsin was all like you know this child is my my legacy like Tamsin did all sorts of other things too supposedly in battle the way that they were trying were kind of saying is like like this is what it means to be a real warrior it was kind of like reinforcing that oh this is this is really where women should but that's yeah. more of a it, the phrasing is perhaps I don't know. They were trying to give Tamsin a different perspective. I know that, but you still have to look at like what does this say value wise? What is about what is the show saying value wise? There's know. two levels, so I understand why the characters were saying it, but I don't know. It just it felt a little weird to me. But I, I don't want to come across as like a feminist who thinks that women shouldn't have children and be mothers, and that isn't a good and noble thing to do. I'm not trying to say that. It just it felt a little odd to me. Well. And on the flip side, you know, that's how I thought Tamsin was going to go out. When we were speculating about her dying and it being her last life, and we were talking about this at Dragon Con, I mean, I thought Tamsin would die by sacrificing herself for the the gang or in battle, as she wanted to as a Valkyrie. I'll say this. It would bother me more if it was something that was applied to all of the female characters, but it's not. This is true. That's true. one character. And and you had... Bo off fighting her father, not having a baby. So we did have women exactly. who were fighting battles in different ways. 
But we also had a somewhat unfortunate gender split where besides Bo, all of the women were in the caravan dealing with the baby, and then the men were the ones who were actually fighting off the elders. And I understand it makes sense why they were in the caravan. Lauren's a doctor. Kenzie's very close to Tamsin. It would make sense that she would want to be there. But these are characters who have gone into battle before, despite being human and not the strongest. They've gone up against Faye before. So it's I, I guess it sticks out to me the fact that they were not out there fighting. Uh, but I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way, the way that the that dialogue went in that particular scene. And Tamsin's whole thing about, oh, I want a legacy, that just came up so recently and seemingly out of nowhere. Right. Yeah. And when did this become no, so that bothered important me to too, Tamsin? In that context. I mean, I don't, you know, if that's the way Tamsin actually feels, then, you know, fine. I don't care. But uh, but yeah. it hasn't, she hasn't been yearning for a child for two seasons or something no, I know. like that. That's it what it I feels mean. out the middle of nowhere to me. Or even the, the word legacy. I feel like she's only been using the yeah. last few episodes, even before she found out she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And they were foreshadowing. Yeah. And I was like, when did this get thrown in? And Valkyries are... When the writers decided to do it? Well, I know. But it's like when our Valkyries taught that's how they should have a legacy. And I don't... You know, think that really came off across that way with everything else we've known about Valkyries. So, and again, there's a trillion different better ways this could have been done if they wanted to put the legacy thing so much in our faces. Plus, they could have done that with Dyson and Mark. Yeah. Huh? Oh, yeah. Legacy. The legacy thing. I'm all, Dyson and Mark having a baby? What? No. Sorry. <laughs> Mark is Dyson's baby. Okay, okay. Sorry. I just, sorry. <laughs> But I have to say, the blanket of, what is it? The blanket of Skimota that the baby was wrapped in? Okay, yeah. A, how did they get that out of the clubhouse if it was burning or whatever? And, okay, B, I have to say, almost as ugly as the effing burlap hell shoes. No, it's not. No, it's not. You leave that blanket it's- alone. <sighs> almost, but nothing is as ugly as the hell shoes. But the blanket, <sighs> could use some. I like the blanket. I like the blanket. I think it's pretty. I appreciate that form of... Is it a knit or is it a weave, Chris? It's, I guess it's, it's a weave. woven. Okay, I'm yeah. sorry, Chris. Yes, I, you I would like appreciate it. it more than me. Be quiet, Annie. <laughs> yeah, I think you I'm shut more your face close. about that yarn. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's really pretty yarn. Shouldn't have mentioned it. So I feel really conflicted about Tamsin in this last episode. I thought she got some good moments. I, I think her line about, I know you guys didn't like me on the force, but this is a bit extreme, might yeah. be my favorite line of the entire episode. And then when she says, your shift's over, and they fall down. Probably one of my favorite moments, if not my favorite moment of the entire episode. And, and their death scene, really nice, but I just don't like the steps that they took to get her exactly. there. Exactly. Me too. But I think the conclusion that we can say about Tamsin's story is what, Chris? What should writers just say no to? Oh, just say no to mystical pregnancies? Is that? Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what are you trying to get me to say? I'm not, we didn't practice this. So one last message. We got a message from our friend Kevin from Tuning Into Sci-Fi TV. He also does the Lost Girl podcast, The Fae Files. You can find them both over at tuningintosci-fi-tv.com. And here's what Kevin had to say. For me, uh, the phrase that I've used, the quick description, is very emotionally satisfying. I really appreciated that we got, in my opinion anyway, a lot of great heart-to-heart discussions. I know some folks have mentioned it kind of took away from the pace of the story, which I could totally see, but for me being the end, I was glad we had some of those times for different combinations of characters getting a chance to talk. Uh, If I'm going to watch a show like this, I'm a very emotional viewer, and it was able to get me both very happy, uh, what I call a fist-pump moment, uh, certainly when Bo was fighting Jack and got to be able to say the I will live the life that I choose line, literally, little hairs back of my neck stood up, fist went up in the air, jumped off the couch. 
love that. Love the being able to do that. And also to get me to, to tear up a bit uh, between Tamsin and the ending and, and a lot of that. So if a show can do that, can make me ride that roller coaster, I think it's done its job. Very pleased with that. I was also good with a bit of the open-ended ending. When you're going to defeat evil, it's not like it's a done deal. So to have the gang be together there at the most part, even though Kenzie wasn't, and talking about how they have to stay vigilant and so forth, not only to leave the possibility for other stories, you know, TV shows, movies, books, but also in my mind. You know, it's that idea that even though they're not on the TV screen anymore, I can still see our characters fighting evil, fighting the good fight, and being together to do it. So thank you for your words, Kevin. I like the image of you jumping up on your couch doing a fist pump. <laughs> I know, me too. I just was picturing it in my head. I was just thinking, like, Kevin's fist pump is equivalent to Annie's touchdown arms. Yes! So let's talk about this ending a little. We, again, from, from Davia, she said that she, like Kevin, liked that Hades wasn't defeated. He is a god that has survived centuries and was turned into myth. Bull was only able to temporarily stop him temporarily stop in, excuse me, but she was able to survive and help his next victim slash daughter prepare for his next attack. I loved when Bo said that Dagny wouldn't be a lost girl. I did like that Bo said basically the title of the show, you will never be a lost girl. And then how she, her voice kind of cracked when she was saying that, because that's what Bo herself was at the beginning of the series. And I thought that was a nice little moment. I'm such a nerd that whenever a character says the name of the show, I always want to be like, that's the name of the show. <laughs> I'm not entirely sure how I feel about Hades surviving. I think because they they drawn out the whole Bo's father storyline so long, I kind of wanted it to just be over, like a permanent end to it. Yeah, yeah. but and it's so know. awful that you do like yeah, <sighs> yeah. So I don't know. How did you feel about it, Chris? About having this open ending of oh, okay, Hades could come back. I like the open ending, but the Hades coming back thing. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about it because it's one of those things like they made him super awful, which is it's it's the double edged sword, right? Because like he's therefore a good quote unquote good villain just because like you really want to see him get his comeuppance. But I guess that's the other thing. Like they didn't actually fully defeat him, which is something we all desperately wanted to see, I think. We wanted he, to see it, but it's a sci-fi trope, though. Evil never dies, and of course it's going to go on after the big battle and even the end of the series. I mean, we've seen that before. But he's not the only evil in existence. That's yeah. true. That's true. But I like Kevin, I, I do like the idea of being able to have our gang of friends still out there, still fighting evil in my head, yes. even if they don't come back and make a movie, though I think this ending begs for them to come back and make a yes, TV movie. Please. I am glad that we are able to, in our heads, to at least have them still fighting the good fight, you know, living life and, and continuing what we've seen them do for five years. And lots yep. of document sex. We also got, in this last scene... A revisit of the light dark divide, and they did what I feared they were going uh, to do, where gonna... we kind of got lip service to it ending. I like the idea of their starting with this colony and light and dark no longer apply in this little area, but I just wish that Bo had been more involved in making that happen rather than just, oh, Mark looked up to Bo and so he didn't declare. It kind of felt like it got left to the guys to deal with. You know what, though? You listen to what Dyson says. He says, we're trying to change the rules, not that we've definitively changed it. And Lauren says, so that one day no Faye will have to choose, ever. I think they're still in the process of it. Sure, yeah. And so I think if there ever was a film, there could be conflict between the Faye who don't want to change the process and between the gang. So I would love that. Yeah, I think that would be good. So I like that it's not just, okay, cut and dry, done. Mm -hmm. 
But yeah, I did like how the ending was left pretty open and just, I mean, I like endings like that where it's not just, you know, end of thing, everything. Although, oh, this was my train of thought from earlier. If they do make a movie and there was a question at Dragon Con to all the actors, if there was a movie, would you be in? And they all said yes, and including Rachel. And I'm, but I'm like, but, but Tamsin's dead, but it's sci-fi, you know, you can bring her back. But if they did do a movie, would you like them to bring back or, you know, have Tamsin be up in Valhalla giving advice to Dagny or some random thing like that? Or do you think that would just be cheap? Rachel could play Dagny. Oh, that's true. Why not? Yeah, that's true. Or, because I would love it if they did a movie, if they brought Casey Collins back even. So yes. maybe they could. They've done flashbacks on the show. So maybe they could work them in and flashbacks. Bring Ebony back. Because that was a major thing to me. That was like, where's Ebony? Why wasn't she in the finale? But And they never cashed in that favor. I know. And Michael Grassi, though, did say they would have liked to have seen more people in the finale or had more stuff. But they couldn't get scheduling issues to work. And Emmanuel Vogier also seems to be doing a million things. So maybe they couldn't get her in there for the finale. But... Clearly, Dagny has gone. She's got her mother's genes and her mother's tastes because she's going for the ladies. So I like that. She's making out with her girlfriend with the, you know, alternative lifestyle butch haircut. But here's the thing, because what are Dagny's powers? Because, you know, Michael Grassi said in the interview, oh, it's gone full circle where the gang intervenes and Dagny's not going to kill her girlfriend. But I'm like, well, what does that mean? That, what, is Dagny going to be a succubus? Or is she it going to be... It wouldn't have occurred to me that she would have killed her girlfriend. Yeah, I, I don't know what he meant in that interview, but I think he was just trying to make it go full circle or something. Yeah, it wouldn't have occurred to me, but I'm like, what if she did kill her girlfriend? Because she kept going, wait, wait, something's going on and maybe her powers were coming to fruition would she have doubted her to death would her would she have beaten her to death with her big wings that expanded in the car even though they get them at their last life but you know i was like well what are her powers and maybe that has something to do with lauren taking her sample her blood sample or whatever at the end for a minute it, it took me a few rewatches, but i'm like was lauren injecting her with something or was she taking a blood sample and i think she was taking a sample because she says well now i'll do another full workup now that you've hit fey puberty fey mm. puberty that's what i thought too i'm confused by why dagny might have killed her girlfriend though because she didn't have any succubus in her she was born of yeah. a valkyrie in hades so uh. what was it that michael grassi said because i i thought it was just supposed to be like a nod to the Bo's origin story not Okay, this is what Michael Grassi said. Uh, the makeout scene in the car was a mirror of Bo and Kyle's car scene. Kyle was Bo's first kill, and now Dagny, coming into her powers, might accidentally kill her girlfriend the same way Bo accidentally killed Kyle. We've but come now, full circle. Doubt her to death? Yeah, I'm like, is she a succubus? So I got all confused by that comment. So I'm like, what? I mean, I don't know. Who knows? But so yeah, I thought that was a weird yeah. bit of the interview. I totally got what they were going for with that scene with a nod to Bo's first right. thing. origins. But at the same yeah. time, when it started, I was like, what is happening? I'm yeah, I was like, who is this? What is happening? Right. Yeah. Who are yeah. these people? I know. Why are we seeing them at the end of the last I know, episode? At the end of, of the, the show. Yeah. At the very, very end of the show. Yeah. And here's my question. In the Cinephiles interview, the interviewer asked Michael Grassi, why didn't we see Kenzie in the final scene? And how the hell did Lauren not age after over a decade? So this brings up to the question, how long has it been in between the final battle and this last scene with Dagny in the doll? How could it be over a decade? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any yeah. sense because Lauren says to Dagny, okay, you've just hit fate puberty. You're 
And they said accelerated aging, too. So. Yeah, she's still aging mm-hmm. into adulthood at accelerated rate, just like her mom. We see baby Tam Tam get raised by Kenzie in the fourth season, what, like a few months? A few weeks? I was going to say, it would be like ten weeks, maybe ten months if it's like accelerated, but not. Exactly. I and I'm know. like, I don't think it's been that long. Yeah, I thought it was maybe a year at the most. Yeah. Because maybe if she wasn't a full, full-on Valkyrie that she didn't age quite as fast, but I didn't think it'd be 10 years. That seems like no. an overestimate. Yeah, so I read that interview and I'm like, no, I think that's totally wrong. But again, more reason why wouldn't Kenzie be around still and come running into the doll and still look the same? I mean, I just... Because Lauren still looked the same. They didn't try to age Lauren particularly. No, and I think it's just, I, I don't think it's been that long. I think it's been, you know, like I said, a year or maybe a couple of years at the most. But, and Mark is still a rookie on the force, you know? It's not like yeah. he's, you know, aged or anything. Like he, I mean, yeah, he's Ageless Faye, but it's not like he's, uh, you know, a detective now or something like that, mm-hmm. like Dyson. Yeah, because he, you know, the, they never said how old Mark was supposed to be, but I'm guessing he's supposed to be about 18, 19 years old, and he could join the police force then. That's all you, yeah. that's as old as you got to be to be, to go to the academy. Yeah. So. I figured it was, you know, a few months, maybe a year had passed. Oh, so Jay says, the question is, Mark was wearing a costume or was a real cop? If so, that will give an idea how long it's been. I think it takes months in the police academy. I was just going to to comment, though, one of my friends was joking about how, you know, they didn't think that Mark would be a cop. And, and so they said, maybe he's a stripper. <laughs> Vex would like that. Vex got him that job at his club. Yeah, <laughs> I actually thought when he showed up in the in the outfit, I'm like, ooh, I bet Vex likes that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he can Remember break when out he showed his up to little the police leather, station? leather. I know he was going to say he could break out his little leather police outfit. I think they were insinuating Jay that Mark was actually a cop, as much yeah. as I would like yeah. the idea that he was actually a stripper. I, I think he was supposed to actually. <laughs> I be think a cop. he was. Yeah. Although I think I do think it's interesting though, if Dagnia is aging so fast and if Kenzie's raising her in the human world, how quickly do you have to move around so that people don't notice? Why do you have a six month old baby and then well, she just a months later her in her castillo? Okay, yeah, yeah, that'll work. That'll work. <laughs> and this in between when Dagny was born and then when Bo is buckling her into her car seat, it's like, oh, she looks like she's six months old already, and it's like, mm-hmm. you know, probably not a that long days after. Later, probably. A couple days later, yeah. so yeah, I don't, I don't think it's been that long. That was a cute baby. The ba- <laughs> the car seat baby. That was yeah, a really was cute, a cute baby. baby. I looked up the entomology of Dagny, and yes, it does mean New Day, but Dagny is a feminine given name of Scandinavian and especially Norwegian origin, which is fitting. And uh, it is derived from the combination of Old Norse words dagger, D-A-G-R, day, and N-Y, new. Uh, while appearing in Norse mythology, it had virtually fallen out of use for centuries and was revived at the second half of the 19th century. I thought that was a very appropriate name that they chose for her, not just because of the meaning, but, you know, Norwegian and Valkyries and all that stuff. Olivia Shriven, who plays Teenage Dagny. I'm sorry, I apologize to you, but you will never interpret the line, my god, you're beautiful, the way that Zoe Palmer interprets it. And I wish uh, they hadn't called quite so much attention to that line that they did. I wish they could have just had her say that and then Bo move on rather than having Lauren say, like, famous lines to a succubus. Famous words to a succubus. People don't talk that way, George. People don't talk that way. (gasps) Whatever. I want to say thank you very much to everybody who sent in voice messages for this episode. I really appreciate it. I really love that we had so many different accents on the show. It was fantastic. Thank you. Accents. (laughs) Accents are sexy. 
<laughs> but we'd like to hear your thoughts about this finale. You can go and leave them on the show notes over at drinksofthedoll.com slash 125. You can leave a comment there. Send us an email to feedback at drinksofthedoll.com. Call our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223 to leave a voicemail. Or you can record a voice memo with your smartphone and email it to us. And Drinks of the Doll is part of the Ask Genre TV family of podcasts. We've also got podcasts for Killjoys and Orphan Black, a couple other things. You can check those out at AskGenreTV.com. I'm so glad you could join us for Drinks of the Doll. My name is Stephanie. I almost forgot my name. (laughs) (laughs) I really appreciate and love you guys despite what I say sometimes about popping my docubus bubble. And uh, I really appreciate all the listeners. My name is Annie. And my name, and it is my name, Annie. (laughs) My name is Chris. Thank you so much for listening. Cheers. Oh my God, so sexy.